0: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's
1: chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life.
2: No
0: purchase necessary. VTW, VoIP, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18.
1: Greetings. You've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from onsip.com and you can go to getonsip.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last 5 years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about zipdx.com, full color, full featured, full HD conference bridge. Our website vuc.me on the web's hosted by bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from voxbone.com. It's
3: been a long time, and I tell you, uh, we've, we've been pretty busy on, on our side, so apologies for not uh, making the, the regular uh, VUC conference. I've missed you guys. We've missed you. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think. I think on that last episode, we probably talked about kind of the, the pivot uh, away from Telophone, uh into... What we were affectionately calling Skynet back in those days, Skynet.im. Um, right. right
1: absolutely um, so
3: yeah, so um so telephone you know we, we had looked at it uh from from a business perspective, you know I, I had uh, a couple of angel investors that we were talking, you know, I quit my job because <laughs> I said this is this could be the next big thing, and uh we started looking at business models and what what could we do with telephone and um at that point in time, every every WebRTC service was free, and we we, we had some ideas maybe around enterprise uh, customer customer support and what have you that that sounded kind of interesting. But um, I was playing with uh, the the whole Skynet IM back in uh, the last quarter of um, 2013, and uh, we kind of talked about you know really the the what the analysts are starting to say about IoT. Um, you know which which was all over the board you know, anywhere they're saying you know and like by 2020 they were saying it was gonna be either a three trillion dollar market or or a uh, what was it or twenty fourteen trillion three to fourteen trillion dollar market by 2020 so we said well there's got to be some, some ways to monetize Skynet uh, there so so we did the pivot and uh, really glad that we did um, because you know we we ended up uh, bringing on I think in the early days maybe three or four people full time. Uh, the the kind of the sad part of the story is is the money guys made us change the name. <laughs> so so they said no one will ever buy Skynet for their enterprise. No one will, no one will, will allow you to put Skynet into their company. So uh, and I think that they there was some fear of being sued by although I I thought that would have been the best part of the story. Um, <laughs> So we we changed the name from Skynet.im uh, to uh, Octobloom. I see
4: Tim's laughing back there. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's yeah, it's to, than, we changed uh, it to Octobloom. It's better than Snowden Networks.
3: <laughs> you know, I saw that uh, uh, Citizen 4 last night. I'm telling you, I, I'm so glad that we've added encryption to the payloads and everything in in, in Octoblue because uh, I think I think we need to get. Uh, th- there's a lot going on there that that make it reminds you about there, right?
1: But you're not yet talking it's with no a towel knowledge. over your head, Chris. <laughs> you
2: I no, saw that too. It's a out, terrific
1: movie.
3: <laughs> I'm living out in the public, man. I I I want I want to face this stuff head on and and see how what we can all do to keep to keep uh, making this everything more secure. And um, you know, Tim's got some great ideas too around around uh, the next generation of the internet. You know, peer to peer. I'm 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 believing in his ideas even more and more uh, after, after uh, that movie.
1: Hope I didn't was, let any
3: cats out of the bag, Tim. But I I, like, I love I love that story.
1: I think that was a cue for you, Tim. But if you don't have anything to say, yeah, I
5: no, I'm. I'm. Uh, it, it's not a. It's not got to a point where I can like, you know, do anything with it apart from, like, do PowerPoint slides. So there's really, it needs to needs to be a bit more real, and I don't have the time for that at the moment, sadly.
3: Well, I I think the the timing is getting more and more right uh, every day. So <laughs> you need to keep keep. Thinking
1: That's actually cool. a very good point, uh, Chris, in that um, the two worries, I mean, you're talking about all these little devices that are connected to your home network and how if somebody gets in, they could pretty much assassinate you with various <laughs> moves like turning your furnace all the way up. I mean, not literally, but there's, there are so many things that could be possible. And if you've ever seen the movie, uh, per the, the TV series, Person of Interest, by any chance? You know anything about that? Yep,
3: yep a couple of episodes.
1: Yep. So, I mean, even if you don't follow the story, the opening sequence is perfect because I've actually seen what they were showing. I mean, I didn't realize that that stuff actually exists, where you have the little square around the person and it can follow the person around. And it, even in Hangouts, they've got that recognition going. It doesn't work as well as it does on Person of Interest, but uh, all of the Bluetooth, <laughs> the Bluetooth hijacks and stuff like that that they're doing. In fact, I always laughed at that and thought, "Yeah, well, this is kind of a." Uh, it's an extension of um, you know current technology, but apparently it's actually not an extension. It's it's happening every day, so that's interesting. And if you have well, a bunch of stuff well, around your house, it, it's uh, scarier.
3: I was I was going to say I think uh, it wasn't just like three months ago there was news about the Samsung TV was streaming all of your audio into the cloud. You know they were trying to make it you know passive type type speech rec. You know to do things quickly, but uh, yeah, that was a, a great eavesdropping device.
4: Well, if you you go a little bit further to today's appliances that you have today in your house, like your television, your Wi-Fi, and all of these, they never got patched for two of the biggest uh, bugs that were announced three months ago. So at the moment, you can have a virus running in there uh, doing Bitcoin or even worse things.
5: Yeah, did did you see that um, one of the... uh one of the news reports this week was was they tracked down one uh, one of the major sources of spam on a, a particular botnet, and it and some some guy's fridge had been hacked and was was one of the major sources of email spam. <laughs> I just you know, and and, and you, it's exactly what you're saying. It's sitting there. It's nobody looks at whether it's CPU usage you know, 40% higher, nobody notices it, it's, it's anything about it. It's not been patched since it was shipped yeah. a year ago, and and, and never will be, um, probably. And, and and it's running some some buggy buggy version of the Linux kernel with some cruddy busy box, and it's probably got a, a free back door for maintenance anyway. I mean, you know, <laughs> and I think Chris is actually right, I want coming back to the topic. Um, uh, Chris is absolutely right that the security thing is for internet things is is essential I mean I don't want to be rude about them because they were they were lovely and it's a great device and it's only a toy and whatever the the, the parrot drones the security on them is, is is um hysterical I mean you know literally we were discussing this in the pub the other night that it wouldn't be difficult to have to write a a parrot drone which would go and fly and steal the others, and make them flock yep. after it because yep. there is Remember literally
3: the, no security. There's, that, uh, there's a Skyjack open source project that does exactly that. You could fly a parrot drone and uh, basically hijack the uh, the connection
4: and have it follow your drone away from, from the operator. <laughs> Uh, so so what we launched at Ubuntu uh, in the beginning of of the year is exactly targeting what you guys are talking about. Uh, so we have a, a new IoT open source version that exactly uh, gets patched to this type of problem. So we hope that in the in the future your fridge and your Wi-Fi point and all the other things uh, don't have this type of problems anymore. Uh, didn't want to... Yeah.
3: So, um, so that, I mean that that coming full circle, I, I think that's important, uh, Martin. Because I mean, you know, we I, I can talk a little bit more too about the whole OctoBlue stack because there's probably eighty percent of it's open source as well, and there's a lot of security. Security's baked into the architecture itself. However, kind of back to what what we were talking about earlier is that. Our mission is just to machine-to-machine to and some machine. messaging, connect everything to everything, and, and allow you to automate uh, these these types of flows to to ease to simplify your life. But the the, manu, your, the manufacturers um, devices are just that. I mean, you know, you're you're even though you're connecting them and you're 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 moving secure messages back and forth, if there's a vulnerability in the device itself, there's nothing that your platform, our platform, anyone's platform is going to be able to uh, to solve, right?
4: Well, yes. Well, if there's an app on there that is uh, that is bad, we try to contain it, and uh, the operating system uh, we can manage. Uh, but of course, uh, there's limits to uh, to everything. Uh, but that's wh- where we would transactionally upgrade things if there's bugs in it.
3: So I'm I'm thinking things like uh, Belkin wemos You know, I mean, some of those, some of the way those operating systems are work or are on those things is. Is they're they're different for every single one of them. Their their security strategies are different. Their protocols supported are different. Uh, oftentimes, security is really the last you know an afterthought. You know how how a lot of these home automation devices work.
4: Yeah. So so uh, that's exactly where we have focused. Like like, and I don't want this to be publicity thing, but like we open sourced snap Ubuntu Core that can put mobile apps type of things with mobile app type of app stores onto anything and can be and those apps traditionally are written by bad programmers or hostile programmers so we took that technology from our phone and now made it work into anything so, so, so you are containing those apps that even if they have problems they cannot uh, harm the base system or other apps. Uh, and, and the way you uh, make apps is, is easy. Um, so, but uh, it is a problem and we're trying to fix it now. Uh, that doesn't fix all Internet of Things, unfortunately, but that part of the puzzle, I think, is getting closer to be resolved.
3: That's cool.
5: I mean, I think think we're we're in the point, and Chris is kind of leading the charge on this, and uh, amongst others, uh, we're at the point where we're starting to learn what um, what this uh, this new landscape's going to look like. And, and, you know, hopefully we can avoid making all of the obvious mistakes. We're going to make some mistakes, and, in, and some of them are already shipped. So the problem is that your mistakes live for an extremely long time in, in this world. You know, I can't think of the last time I replaced my fridge. Um, it's 20 years. So, you know, it's not, I mean, it, at least my pcs die within about five years, um, but the the fridges are going to hang around and i 've upgraded the os on them you know so so there 's a set of, of problems that, around that that I think are, are really interesting and I think the other thing that Chris and I have talked about um, a lot in the past and maybe not enough recently is about how it 's not the same security paradigm it's it's the you know we 're not <sighs> I don't want a password for my fridge. I don't want to access my. I don't want to give, be given permission to to use my fridge. That's the wrong. It's the wrong way. So it's It's anthropologically the wrong way to look at it. It's my down fridge, you know. <laughs> um, I paid for it. Once I paid for it, the transaction, and I I give it electricity. It's like it's mine at this point. Um, and so I think I think we need to those sorts of ideas. There's a whole lot of new stuff we need to do in this space, and just inheriting our mindset from other device spaces particularly the desktop I think is wrong um, I like the idea of taking stuff from the mobile because people are very possessive about their mobiles so something that, that's heading in the right direction but you know, um, I, don't know if you, I don't know if any of you remember uh, Hermione Way, but she's uh, she's working publicity for somebody who has a, a Wi-Fi connected bed and, and it's just like you can't get more like more mine than my damn bed, you know um, so I, I I think we need to you know we really need to put a lot of thought into this, and I'm delighted that you know particularly you two are are involved in this and I see see oiller on the uh, on the on on the call, but silent or maybe he's just uh, sent a, a bot
3: instead uh, Tim, I was going to add to that, so I mean while home automation mobile is very personal, as you point out. Um, if you think about like how the enterprise workspace is uh, moving in IoT as well as industrial, uh, now you've got millions of these these types of sensors maybe on a construction project, and you, you potentially have um, uh, life life threats you know or, or safety safety concerns if any of these things go go awry right. So you know if someone's walking you know man against machine and and the sensors you know. Aren't aren't reporting correctly. I mean you, you could have safety issues, you know, in, in,
4: in a in a larger industrial situation too. You don't have to go industrial. if you just uh, connect an intelligent light uh, at home and there's a bug and somebody can uh, put it on 10,000 times a, a second, probably the light bulb can explode and uh, provoke a fire. like uh, it's, uh, it's not that far, and, and I think in 2015 or 2016, there will be a company that will be unfortunately known as the first that provoke that through IoT.
3: And, yeah, and I mean, take, take, to, hopefully. <laughs> I was I was gonna say, take a look at the bulbs. I mean, that's that's a really good good analogy, like the Philips Hue bulb. So the way OctaBlue attaches to it, we attach. We don't use the Philips Hue cloud. We speak, you know, Hue protocols. We speak lots of protocols, and we have an IoT, uh, open source IoT cloud that you can put on a Raspberry Pi in your home. We have a gateway that you can tie all these things into. That's open source. So um, you potentially, some could be accessing that bulb either through OctaBlue, you know, if they have the right permissions, or through the Philips Hue um, cloud as well with the right permissions. So I think there's lots of different ways to get to these devices that, you know, they're, call it a backdoor if you will, but I mean, there's, there's it, 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 it's kind of back to that, that initial discussion that it, it's pretty difficult to secure all angles of these devices, because you, you know, I mean mean—we're obviously focusing on OctaBlue and have no control over any other other access point to that bulb.
4: Yep. Uh, now, what do you think? Uh, so, so one of the the nicer aspects of IoT is actually what can you do with it that uh, is interesting. So. Uh, What we showed last week on Mobile World Congress is like if you put apps onto anything, you can make the stupidest thing the smartest thing. So we had a a switch that uh, basically uh, was just the cheapest X86 with six ports we could find on Amazon, and by uh, putting apps on there, we converted it in a robot controller, uh, an IoT uh, device doing lots of stuff. Uh, It all of a sudden uh, was all join enabled, could talk to your fridge and your television. It could talk directly to the cloud. It could do lots of things. In addition to being a firewall, uh, had some F5 software and was an actual switch. Uh, so, um, what do you think would be uh, the killer apps for IoT and, and both home as well as uh, uh, consu- uh, as well as enterprise?
3: So uh, that's a really good question. Yeah. So we were at uh, uh, Barcelona Mobile World Congress too in the Intel Maker Maker Space. Um, we we're approaching this thing from from kind of a, a I guess and I was calling it an Internet of Everything type play, but the CEO of Citrix we were just recently acquired by Citrix I think has a better label for it. He's calling it the integration of everything. Um, and uh, what's interesting about that is we're connecting. Uh, smart things, wearables, people, and uh APIs. So you can kind of take an ift approach into Octoblue as well and you can connect um systems. So so something happens on Salesforce. I mean, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's an agent makes a sale. You know, maybe you could turn a little siren on over the cube that, that made the sale, some applause on the overheads, and maybe text the, the manager, let, let uh him or her know that you know, um, Cube Thirty Nine just just closed a uh, you know a thousand dollar sale or something. So, or just even even without IoT, I think there's interesting um, uh, uh, use cases that people are using Octoblu for just connecting systems. So we have this this designer, and maybe I could share my screen in a little while and kind of show it. But we have this designer where you can orchestrate all of these various systems and things and wearables like all together sensor streaming that do different things like you know if your heart rate. Maybe if your heart rate and your glucose and your whatever healthcare monitoring things happen at the same time, you know we're feeding all that data to Splunk. You know maybe Splunk could be doing some analysis looking for, you know maybe your heart rate by alone may not be worth uh, getting your doctor involved. But if you start attaching all these other other sensors, you know maybe that combination of metrics is a concern. So then maybe it can fire up a go-to meeting. And bring you know your two or three doctors that are that are working on those specific parts of your 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 system uh, together to to have a consultation with you or something. Uh, I think it's getting interesting just connecting either just systems or things in systems or sensors streaming in uh, and doing more more big data analytics. And by no means have we we um, given enough focus on the machine learning side that's kind of the the, the the next thing that I I'm really interested in seeing the predictability or the prediction you know how do you how do we make our lives easier I think is uh, are, are safer or better I think that's the whole next thing that's that's getting really so
4: interesting talking about that like what would you think because like technically we are very close to be able to demonstrate this case where like you would wear anything that has your heartbeat measured and shared with like some home hub or whatever, and that home hub being connected to the house. So you come home and it says like, oh, Martin is stressed and he just came home. What do I do? Do I ask the nest to uh, make it warmer or colder? Do I want an espresso machine to make tea or coffee? Do I want to have uh, this stereo play classical or or, uh, rock music? And what effect does this have so that? over time your house knows if you're stressed it can calm you down doing these five actions uh, and it gets immediate feedback without you pushing buttons is this the type of thing you're you're referring to or
3: yep yep so um exactly so uh, yeah, they, they say we have 1.9 billion connected devices today I'm, I'm going over like I don't know Forrester or Gartner or something I, I saw recently and then they said in uh, in five years we're going to have 50 billion connected devices so I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't deal with the ones like like manually supervising the ones I have today. So to your point, they have to get smarter. You know, the 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 Belkin WeMo light switch needs to be able to talk to my Philips Hue light bulbs, and and uh, you know disrupt that whole app per you know one app per device needs to needs to go away, and these all these devices need to get
1: smarter. Uh, but, but do you guys have any? Some... I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I thought you. Yeah, were... go ahead. I thought you were not... Well, I was just going to say, well, do I, any I, of you I, oh, go, ahead. go finish? What you, I'm sorry, finish what you were going to say, and then I, I have something I want to interject that's important.
3: Go ahead. So, so I spoke at Splunk Conf. I think it's been about three months since that conference. Um, and one interesting thing was I took a. Um, so we have a gateway that that you can have in your home, but we also have a mobile gateway that lets you stream all your BLE wearable devices, you know, from a mobile device. So. I had a heart rate monitor on, and I was streaming my heart rate through Octoblue, and then ultimately through into Splunk. And um, Splunk, had, Splunk was watching my, my heart rate, and it had some save queries that was running in real time that had like – we were looking at this, the Splunk dashboard, and it had green you know thresholds for my heart rate, green, yellow, orange, red, whatever. And as Splunk was seeing my – I started doing jumping jacks. As Splunk started seeing my heart rate change, it was making decisions in, in the platform and injecting control into an OctoBlue flow to change the lights in the conference room the same color as the gauges on the Splunk dashboard. So I think that that was, that was kind of a baby step into this. You know, what, what can you have, you know, the intelligence of a big data analytics engine do its thing, looking for trends and anomalies and doing, doing what it does best, but giving it control to inject itself back in the flow where maybe it's automating simple things in our, in our lives without us you know, having to tell things what to do. I'm actually working on that exact system. Um, so basically,
0: it's interesting because we're actually doing it from, this is an industrial place, so basically for the past year when I, we started ping things, the idea was to take uh, machine learning predictive analytics um, and bring it to bear against something that hadn't, to be very honest, is an extremely, in some ways, archaic scenario, which is the power grid. So we're actually working with the bulk power system now and taking in um, some super high-fidelity sensors that have been deployed in the past five years uh, called, what are called synchrophasers. Um, and those particular sensor samples, somewhere between 30, 60, all the way up to 120 samples a second, And we're basically analyzing the grid on the transmission side of life, not the distribution, not what you guys are, what most people are used to in regards to the poles behind their house with with a transformer on it, but literally on the transmission side and taking a look at the behavior Uh, what these sensors are picking up and then basically starting to make control automation decisions based on anomaly detection Great example of you know we're seeing certain uh, events transpire in in the real time stream what can we do to change things. Ultimately this is an IOT player because uh, this is the very first time that the grid has actually had uh, the power grid has actually had a uh, wide area situational awareness never existed before which is kind of scary to think about in the first place, but but the idea here at some point is that we're going to go all the way across to the firewall. I mean right now the the smartest thing that on the grid or the one that's been recently deployed beyond the synchrophasers were smart meters. So smart meter saturation in North America is fairly high in certain areas, almost 100% in California at this point. Um, The problem is they don't sample very quickly. They sample, they normally used very for a very small amount of functionality those smart meters are basically sampled once every fifteen minutes they're only used for billing purposes for the most part and uh... you didn't pay your bill you're going to get shut off. I don't got to roll a truck, somebody doesn't have to go buy in the house and pull the plug okay so that's the only way they're using it today but there's a vast amount of data in there including real-time pricing uh... in those smart meters so at some point you're going to see the nests of the world you're going to see the you know, all the hubs that are going to go in the houses these things are going to even have the things that I'm talking about called synchrophasers inside of them so that we actually literally have end-to-end awareness of what's transpiring on the power grid. Without the power grid, so, you you got no IoT. Okay, So I thought it was an interesting way to kind of enter the market and kind of take uh, IoT from a different perspective. And, and the, actually, this is a stranger one. The first use case we're actually working on, Is basically identifying, and this again with machine learning predictive analytics, is basically identifying uh, geomagnetic disruption and its potential impact against the grid. So we're actually taking data directly out of satellites around the solar observatories, um, including USGS magnetometers, and basically looking for these signals of anomalies in the power system uh, before they completely destroy transformers. So anyways, that's uh, a completely different look at it, but...
5: uh, No, I... I I think that's absolutely the the right sort of um place where when the when the question was where's the um you know what's the killer app what's the where's the money and I think it's in it is in that sort of thing it's in the ability to to do mass peak shaving um to do uh, and also to collect data from one place and use it in another I mean you you're saying that you've got this huge network of 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 grid um you know information well actually that tells you a whole lot of stuff that other people would be interested in, like you've effectively got a whole lot of wind and rain data that you currently the grid keeps to itself. But um, you know, I'm sure there are farmers and water management companies who would be delighted to be able to know that it's raining now a hundred miles upstream, and I can start working my dams now, you know, because I know what's coming. Um, or a farmer, hey, I'm not going to irrigate this field today because I know. There's a rain cloud coming in in an hour and a half's time, and I pick that out from the grid. And I think there's a huge amount of that data that that can cross-reference like that in ways that are totally unexpected. I mean, those ones are kind of you know, reasonably predictable, but there's a lot of fun stuff you could do with. I, I talked to uh, a telco who won't I won't name, but they have a huge amount of rain fade data about their microwave links. And you know, again, the farmers would love to have this, but it's there's no convenient way of publishing it. But you know, you st- stick it all on Blue or, or some other network and make it available and charge some nominal fee for it, because you know it doesn't cost you anything. You're going to collect it anyway. Um, and, and that's I think that's really interesting. And there's real money in those kinds of savings.
3: So right. October. I just shared my uh, I just shared my screen. Um, this is kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where you can take um, We've got this designer where you can you can go through any any API you know that we support. You know, and weather like to Tim's point uh, is is definitely one of them. Stock market's another one. You know, um, and all of these these devices. So I could I could say let's check the weather you know every every second or every hour or every day and decide whether or not to turn my uh, you know the sprinklers on or something you know in in the yards you know to, to conserve money or. Maybe a smart city example. You know, maybe it's looking for traffic conditions. You know, before it it you know changes things with you know uh, rerouting of of traffic or lights, et cetera. But you literally just just drag and drop create these things. So this this particular flow is uh, looking for um, here. Let's let's make this a little bit more relevant. We'll we'll look for tweets about the VUC.
4: <laughs> and Ooh, uh, that's interesting. I hope you have a sentiment analysis there. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and we got some sentiment, so we're saying, you know, basically it's going to create a score based on the tweets, and if the score is greater than zero, so we're just adding up the words, then we're going to turn lights in my office uh, green, um, and, you know, bad, we're going to turn red, or neutral, we'll turn them blue. But this is cool. So if you take, um, as you're building out this this flow, we basically create this compute engine, this JavaScript representation of, of, oh, hang on here this JavaScript representation here of which nodes connect to which nodes and the conditionals and the evaluation and when we deploy that to uh, we hit this, this uh, deploy button here that spins up a docker instance gosh that was like two seconds, that spun up a secure docker instance uh, in Amazon and um, uh, loaded that compute engine so now mm-hmm. this is running 24 hours a day uh, seven days a week and and now we're we're able to to watch tweets or <laughs> I able to turn my lights you know different colors based on what people are saying about the VUC.
4: I, I,
1: extremely I, useful
4: I, I, th- <laughs> I think uh, I would like to speak to you offline because I also have some nice things uh, to that could uh, make this picture even better so
3: oh you've, you've got yeah I'm all ears you, but uh, let here's a good reference like Tesla. Um, We had, uh, so watch watch this, so we had, uh, let me create a new flow. Our CEO has a Tesla, and he insisted that we add the Tesla uh, uh, API to this. So if we come down and we say, okay, let's add, I think I have one here, let's see. Yeah, here, so let's add a Tesla node. Let's check its uh, battery levels. Let's see, it gets current temperature, where's the battery? gets... State of charge. Uh, we can say we can add this. So here's all of our node operators. So we can say, okay, add this interval thing. So we'll say, uh, or maybe schedule rather than every hour. Let's say, let's say, let's check the battery. And he, he wrote this flow himself, which I was pretty impressed. Like you could say, uh, this is cron, so I, I can't remember the, the format here, but maybe it's like every night it's. You know, midnight or something. However, this works. You could you could say call the Tesla AI. uh, Add a conditional. Say if the battery level is you know less than 50 percent, send me a uh, text message to remind me to uh, turn to plug it in. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I got a better one, Chris.
3: Now now add
0: another. Take something like Tendril, which is an open API about current uh, power. Um, costs to your at your individual house from a smart meters perspective. So now basically make the tel, uh, make it intelligent enough so that it understands that you're going to plug in and charge that battery when it's the lowest cost to you, right? The, and this is a yep. huge this is a huge implication for the power grid because what's happening is is that uh, the amount of Teslas, you know, Nissan Leafs, all these other all the hybrids that are coming in. More straight battery-operated uh, EVs, uh, combined with things like what, what they call demand generation, demand response. Uh, demand generation being photovoltaics going onto rooftops, uh, you know, wind uh, power being generated both uh, on on larger farms as well as uh, individual uh, wind. Uh, the, this is causing great problems for the grid. The grid was never meant to take power in uh, in the opposite basically coming from you know a house going outward. So you know, anytime we can get more intelligent specifically about these end devices, specifically things like Teslas, et cetera, um, you, you, you know, beyond just the walk cost of charging the battery up on the Tesla, you're basically could be sending messaging back to the grid itself to tell them that, listen, I'm potentially going to be arriving at my house in six and a half hours, and I am going to plug in my Tesla. And if you look at it holistically, like within your neighborhood, they start to get a better understanding what the load's going to start looking like because they have to align generation with load. So, yep. I, a, I think it's that's it's fascinating how this blends together.
3: Yeah, yeah I think that's that's a killer app in in the near term. I I, I saw a great article about uh, recommending that Tesla should consider selling their battery arrays to homes. I think for just that, for like storage and and off peak and on peak, you know, better utilization of, uh, of of power. Well, they've they've actually announced that business. <laughs> They're actually doing it.
4: That's awesome. <laughs> But one, uh, one of the things when people go and like, what is an IoT app? Uh, I, I always give a cruel example, but everybody seems to get it. If you have like uh, a scale at home, you have a Fitbit and you have a, a smart lock. Well, if you want to lose weight, put that smart lock onto your fridge and your fridge will not open until you stand on your scale. If your weight uh, is worse <laughs> than than yesterday, it only opens for breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner, or until you get to your next Fitbit goal. People seem to uh-huh. get it. It's cruel, but it does the job. Well, they're going to do that to a vodka <laughs> bottle. <laughs>
3: So we we were having fun at uh, in Barcelona. We took uh, the Mayo and connected it to uh, drones. I think I was calling this the killer drone demo. Um, uh, and but you were able to fly fly a Parity R Drone with your Mayo without without any programming. Uh, so I mean I, th- I think really it's, it's a matter of just loading up this this. Uh, you know the, this this experience of octoblue with as many different um, devices and APIs as you can, and then let let everyone else have the creative ideas how to best and, and uh, this, solve
4: problems. This is where I think I can give you millions of uh, different classes of devices uh, because uh, we are able to put apps on almost anything that can uh, have an ARM v7, v8, or or Intel processor. Um, oh, that's awesome. so I think we should talk together because I think this is a killer combination it sounds awesome to me
5: so the funny thing is this reminds me very much of where where this actually where this community started um, with asterisk asterisk being the, the you know Swiss Army knife plug anything to anything um, uh, device. You know, you could take a, a, a bunch of analog faxes and plug them into a PRI and plug a grand stream and all this stuff and then you'd put put a bit of code in asterisk and it would make them interoperate and you could put a, a doorbell and whatever else into it. So I think I think what Chris is doing and, and to an extent some some of the rest of the you know the IoT crowd are doing is to is recreating that sort of plug-and-play thing that Asterisk did only for all the rest of the things in our, pho- in our houses that aren't phones. And that leads me to a question which actually Neil Stratford prompted me to ask about where do we think voice fits into this? Like we haven't talked about any of these things being voice controlled. Is that something that anybody actually wants? Do they want to shout at their fridge or, or, or not? I, I'm, I'm actually really ambivalent
3: about this so so look look at this uh, this flow I have here um, this this has a voice component in it um, we, we built this in I think about 30 minutes um, but but uh, someone at Citrix was wondering could we make this the, the conference room a little bit more intelligent than it is so Citrix has the same problem that everyone else does 10 minutes before a meeting starts you're fumbling with with the phone number to dial you're fumbling with getting the video up on the display and, Etc. So what we did was we put a, an eye beacon in a conference room when you when you walk into the conference room it says oh it's, it's Chris uh, does Chris have any, any meetings in here? It can call the Go to Meeting API uh, and uh, if, if I do it could go ahead and start the meeting for me automatically. Uh, we just added a Chromecast node so it could now uh, throw the uh, my, my tab up on, on the, the, the display for me automatically uh, start the meeting and then start the, the call recording and uh, at the end of the uh, meeting it, co- it could uh, upload the um, the uh, audio uh, recording to share file and then send a, um, a uh, an email to all the participants with the link uh, of the call. I mean if it had the dictation you know, capabilities it could do the minutes with active speakers so I, I very much think that voice is, is, uh, should be a part of this discussion
1: I I wanted to mention something earlier, and I didn't get a chance to stick this in, but I I started with you guys, and what I was going to say is that all of you here know a lot about this stuff and have done demos. Tim's done, uh, Tim did a a drone type, it wasn't a drone, I guess, uh, a car demo, uh, driving something at a distance, and this is all very impressive, but at the moment, the technology really is in its infancy, and... For example, I won an Android, an LG G watch. So it connects to my phone, right? And about every three or four days, I have to reboot the phone because it stops talking. Um, now, you know, you, you may well say, well, this is a bug in the phone or it's a bug in the device or it's a bug in Android Wear or whatever that may be. But the fact is, uh, getting back to the great example from Tim of a fr- refrigerator, I don't want my refrigerator to talk to anybody, not even me. I don't care You know what possible gain could there be in a refrigerator doing anything. Uh, I realize that some people think, well, it could tell you, ah, but you're low on milk. I mean, we're human beings. <laughs> Thank you. You're, we're human beings. Uh, you know, what would be the point of life? What are you going to do when all this time of thinking about the serendipity of you know okay oh we're out of milk, so I got to do something I have to cook something that doesn't require cream or what I mean there's a point where the burden to benefit or benefit to burden I should say uh, is lost so uh, this is all theoretical we, we love this stuff all of us go ahead Tim I was going to say I
5: completely agree with you I think that that the idea of of my fridge knowing what's in it is 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 useless. The only thing I want from my fridge is I want it to remind me that there's a service interval um right perhaps Uh, I want it to tell me if it's got a malfunction and I might like it to buy electricity cheaply on my behalf so if for example I've got a pile of solar panels and I'm powering my my Tesla battery with those solar panels and the grid is at a certain price and my fridge is thinking well you know at some point in the next half hour I'm gonna have to do a cooling cycle I wouldn't mind if it was smart about that if it if it cooled itself down an, an extra degree or two when electricity was cheap because it knows that I never open the door at night um, that sort of thing you know if it can make a t- make a 10 percent saving on my electricity bill then actually I don't care about that from my perspective but as far as the planet's concerned there's a shitload of those excuse my French optimizations that we can do and get down to um, you know, significantly less power consumption by yeah. by being by and not and me personally losing nothing from it.
1: Yeah, uh, well just but to, it doesn't it, have it doesn't have to tell you on the internet for Goodness sake, that it needs maintenance. It could just it, have and, a, and, and it light like your car does it, for the oil. And it
5: does, actually. Let, let me just yeah. finish that one, which is it does have to talk on the internet because I don't want to have to buy my solar panels from the same manufacturer as I have to buy my fridge, as I buy my car, as I buy my battery. The only way that that, that, that scenario works for me is if I can buy them independently. And for that to happen, you have to have some external thing like an internet that they can t- all talk over with shared protocols. Unless that happens I'm tied into the Apple fridge yeah. with the Apple car <laughs> and the Apple I
1: shooting. So, what a horrible
4: I, idea. Yeah. So, so the point I wanted to ask here is like uh, what if you could just personalize it? Like uh, like the thing that we worked on is, is like apps on anything. So it's like your phone is different than my phone, so it's not because you don't like it that somebody else m- might not like it. I might like that my uh, um, uh, vacuum cleaner talks to my alarm so that it only comes and cleans uh, when I'm not there and and doesn't uh, drive over the kids uh, and doesn't trip off the alarm or that my microwave doesn't have to be programmed when I put something in it that has a smart label and already knows how to uh, cook that thing. Uh, so, so, but it doesn't have to be that like you all get it or you don't get it. like w- what's possible now is to say, like okay, I can decide to what level I want intelligence in this device because software is defining now most of the uh, usability of device of devices, and it will only go uh, a lot further. So it will be about what you want it to be, not what the manufacturer or the World's Garden that sold it to you wants it to be. Do you,
3: do you remember the w- watching the Jetsons when we were all all uh, kids? Well, at least I was a kid when the Jetsons were on. Um, I, I was already an adult. Of, they had plenty of time to get into trouble, right? I mean, like 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 everything, like the the food was cooked, Martin, like you just explained, you know, the, the little pop out and robots and stuff, and they had plenty of of time to to live. You know, I just didn't have to worry about all the little the little little things.
2: I really think we have to stop wondering about the internet, what's on the net or not the net. Everything is the internet. The question is, how do we make kind of security realms on top of this network that everything is connected to? But not on or on the net. Everything will be the internet. And the internet will reach your house and reach you over many different networks at the same time. So we have to rethink the design here. There's not a home that has one connection to the net and there's an inside and outside. Stop that. It's all the internet. So we I think we need to rethink I think, I think the network design here.
3: Well, I think the way the way we approach this with Octablue, um, the the actual IoT open source IoT platform that that Octablu runs on is called Mesh Blue. Uh, it's on it's on GitHub. It's it's an MIT licensed, but it's it's at the core, it's a mesh network. You don't need uh, internet at all to run it. So um, you could have everything in your home just just connected and talking locally, um, but you could connect Mesh Blue up to to the public. Um, uh blue cloud and uh, then that's how you can get internet connectivity into it. Um, I think take a construction project you you could put lots of little mesh blue nodes across you know like an airport wherever you're you're working and I think thinks you you could add value in safety and and machine-to-machine instant
2: messaging all um, uh, without the internet at all
3: right
2: yeah but what I'm trying to say is that I'm gonna have two devices right like they- this one and this one. And they probably will have totally different internet connections, even though I'm holding them in two hands. For me, as a user, I own these devices and they belong to mesh. I don't care if they have two, three, four different connections to the net, Uh, that's abstract. I want connectivity and I want to have control, like Tim wants control over his fridge and I don't want to hear anything from Randy's fridge bridge. I want to go down there and empty it together with it. But uh, I think we have to lift ourselves above the home router because the home router is not the only gateway anymore. And our users will see it that way, that all these devices are connected. Right? And they don't care about how they're connected or that this little stupid thing is right now
4: connected to a German internet provider. That don't care. I I do want to challenge the fact that like uh, everything is all the time connected to the internet uh, as like a risk uh because uh, all the networks are internet not everything is connected all the time. Yeah, yeah. No no but like I I hear a lot of people that uh, that are in microcontroller world saying okay when with IPv6 uh, I can now be continuously connected to the internet. Well uh, that's true, but unless you have like a transactional way of upgrading to a new version baked into your device, you're going to have a problem the moment that there's a bug and some virus uh, is going to target all the devices in the world that you connected uh, with IPv6. So I, I assume there's the still going to be IPv6,
2: and IPv4 here.
4: Uh, well, the, the difference is that like uh, you used to not have enough IP addresses to actually make. Physically, that device available. If you would have IPv6, any device in your home could, in theory, be directly connected to the internet uh, and accessible. And, and,
2: and that isn't going to happen. There's no real difference between IPv4 and IPv6 yet.
5: Well, assuming that you've got some sort of firewall somewhere,
4: they're they're functionally. Yeah, you have a firewall, and you have the same firewall on IPv6. Right. You no, know, no, but like, like, but I and and what I'm saying is that like I think the people that think connecting everything directly to the internet might not see the dangers. I think there is room for gateway devices that like block the big bad internet from the, the light switch. Market,
2: if you look for the consumer market, we're way beyond that. Consumers are connecting everything to the internet because they want to. That That's the service layer, and we also have to find new ways of thinking. As long as you're thinking inside and outside, or if you try to think a secure network, then you're dead. Network behind a gateway is not secure. The, 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 there's a purpose for gateways, and, it, and it's
5: really only for um, effectively rate adaption or uh, the ability to to... Translate from one radio protocol to another. One thing we haven't talked about is this, the Internet of Things has got this plethora of um, of little radio protocols, most of which are absolutely terrible, um, and that aren't IP compatible. And 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 they um, and they're uh, those things are are really you know scarily scarily open, most of them. And they're squeezed into tiny amounts of spectrum, which the, uh, our, our masters at the MBNOs have allowed, and the spectrum regulators have allowed us to have. And I, I mean, my friends who who spend more time in this world than I do are regularly now finding that they can't get enough bandwidth to run, you know, their little little ZigBee's between here and there because there's too many other damn ZigBee's in the space, um, or not ZigBee's, <laughs> but you know, other people using the same spectrum but with an incompatible protocol. Um, so uh, I think there's a huge problem there, and I think there is one protocol and one radio to another. But in terms of inside and out, you're absolutely right, Phil. The only border is the edge of the device. Yep. Um, you know, if it's it, once you've got into the device, you have to protect. That is the border to protect. It's the case it comes in, um, and and anything else is. Illusory at
2: best. Yeah, I mean, we have to figure out how to build user-controlled and user-understood managed, react that, connecting their devices in a trustworthy way. Because if we're not doing that, the shit is gonna hit the fan, and we're gonna end up in tabloid.
0: Yeah, we have to move. We have to move well away from packet-level uh, security. Uh, any kind, any kind of network transport, anything. In- and that, that realm is something that's got to change because bottom line and
2: Yeah, and so the
0: <laughs> yeah to, to, to everybody's point, I mean, fact of the matter is uh, what isn't connected or what isn't going to be even air gap, okay, your air gap security is a joke now I mean, because you, you find all these other entry points through USB thumb drives, you, you name it I mean, it's, obviously that doesn't even work um, I kind of, the, the next realm is really I mean, we talk about context in a lot of different ways, but you know, at some point, from a device level perspective, and I don't care if that device is a gateway, a firewall, or you know, a, a you know, a Bluetooth uh, light bulb in your house. Well, there's got to be some level of intelligence from a behavioral standpoint that it knows that th- this is generally how I communicate, this is generally how I act, and anything outside of this is not normal. Okay, and and something has to happen. I've got a flag. I've got a disconnect. I've got to do something to stop this from propagating. Um, And and that's kind of the next realm when it comes to the security standpoint. And that's really the whole deep learning systems that are being developed, a lot of these stacked neural networks, and the idea that at some point you're going to be able to push this stuff down to device level. uh, Intelligence at the edge, not at some centralized point, Vis-a-vis a firewall a virus detection system whatever but literally each and every device's ability to understand what's right? What's wrong? What's completely accurate at any given point in in interaction
3: with it, and that that was I? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, okay, oh,
5: I'm, oh, I was just going to say I've been playing with some very small Experiments in, with those ideas with with this yo pet thing. I don't know if anybody kind of still remember this but the, the, the how do you talk to your parrot? How do you give them a, a, a video camera that, that is safe and secure, that they can't answer, they can't reject calls, they can't log in, da, da, da. Um, How do you do that in a, in a sensible way? And, and, and that's been a really nice way to play with this. And I think from the human point of view, what I discovered was that the, there's a huge power in an intentional gesture by a human physically showing something to something, putting something on something, in some way making a gesture that says, yeah, this is what I expect to happen, or this is mine, or, or making that gestural intention. And then from then on, I expect the device to remember it, and I expect the behavior to be sensible, and as you say, maybe there's some learning to be done about knowing what sensible is. But it has to start from a human standpoint, for, certainly for domestic IoT, about, yeah, this is mine. I've claimed it and then we go out from that point.
3: And, and that's exactly the kind of how we started, how it conceived Skynet from the beginning, that everything had a UUID and a token, um, and that's how it authenticates with whatever mesh network it's, it's trying to, to talk to. Uh, you as a, as a human also have a UUID and a token that when you log into the platform, you're now one with the machines and uh, you can claim devices so you, you can say that's my parrot or that's my, my, uh, my talking pet device and I'm going to claim it so that now I have control uh, to do things with it. And then we came up with this concept of uh, whitelisting and blacklisting arrays around roles uh, on, on, on UUIDs. So you can say which UUIDs can are, are allowed or not allowed to either discover my my this particular UUID or uh, subscribe to or send message to or, or configure so there's this whole concept of, of uh, everything potentially could have uh, uh, you could you could set the levels of you know of communications with UUIDs and um, we abstract the communications uh, uh, layer from all of that so if if this UUID connects it says okay that one's connecting via MQTT so OctoBlue knows how to route a co-op message to an MQTT uh, device just by simply saying this UUID wants to send a message to that UUID and do they have the right permissions to do so?
1: Ty, I want to ask Tim, aren't you afraid, aren't you worried about a cat in the middle attack for your parrots? Uh?
5: No, 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 the security <laughs> is too strong for that, unless the cat happens to have the right QR code tattooed on it, we're, we're, we're safe. <laughs>
1: Okay. Martin, um, thanks for joining us. I, I know you have to drop, and uh, you are welcome anytime. time. Hopefully, James has already told you that. Uh, so, anytime you want to come by and join the panel, there's generally going to be some space for you. So, uh, Thank
5: you. M- Martin, where are you based these days? In London. Okay. Yes. Right. We must right. do something at some point. Yep.
4: No, no. Come to our office. Uh, no problem.
1: Cool. Chris, you guys know how to reach each other, or do I need to... Email everybody. How's that going to work? Yeah, LinkedIn thing. So yeah,
3: we're we're Perfect. good.
1: Okay, <laughs> great, excellent. Okay, thanks everybody. Um, well, we're on the one hour mark. That doesn't mean we have to stop. We have such a good panel here. But I would like to ask if anybody on ZipDX uh, has any comments or questions because you can do a star six to unmute yourself. Actually, it doesn't unmute. It toggles the mute state. But since you're all muted, that would have the same effect. And other than that, um, let's see. Any other unanswered questions from anybody anywhere? I'm looking over at IRC. I don't see anything. We were talking to Matthew from um, Matrix. We're trying to work out a way where more people can get on IRC that don't like IRC because that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, especially the guests. Although today, I think everybody's on. I'm not. And Ole, you were able to join us only because we're an hour early. Is that the deal? So we need have something to thank daylight uh, saving time
2: for. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's one of the reasons. The other is my wife is working late. So. Ah, okay. That's always so uh, hours. I have one question though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Matt, you were showing your phone, saying UID, and we have. A lot of applications now using our, my cell phone number as the UUID. It's quite kind of funny with uh, stuff like Telegram because I have Telegram on a lot of devices and I accidentally removed it from the phone that had the phone number, but my phone number is still my UUID. Uh, will we be able to leave the UID and do something else? Um, leave the phone number, the cell phone number that too many applications use. Um, I showed earlier this little thingy, let's see if I can focus it on, again. This is a YubiKey from Yubico uh, with NFC. It's actually an authentication key that I carry, and I have friends that use it with their Nexus 5 and Nexus 7s, to PGP sign email and identify with the key. They just touch the Nexus in the back and everything is all set. Um, that's one way hardware tokens, but I still yeah. don't know. Well, right it, now, it, it, it it plugs it
1: plugs out. in okay. as Ole, it plugs in as USB and it has NFC. USB, Is that
2: it? it it can do many things either USB okay. and it works as a keyboard with a one when you press the little button you get a one a key string okay. for authentication a one way key, but it also has NFC, and I think that's the roadmap for the future. But uh, Google used these kind of devices for two-factor authentication now for Google Plus and Google services.
1: Right, exactly. No, but so, I, I didn't realize that they. I know they made those with uh, for USB, but I did not realize they had NFC. What were you going to say,
5: Tim? Uh, I, I'm, I think it's interesting this the the identity. You know, who who how do, how do you prove to your machine who you are? Um, yeah, that's you know. I have uh, in
1: my case, bad typing.
5: Well, yes, I mean that may be it. And 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 and, um, and James used to employ somebody who had uh, had chips inserted in his fingers, uh, in his, you know, wherever whatever that's called, that bit of his hand, mm-hmm. so he could open doors just by doing Vulcan mind grips at them. Um, and you know, so um, and I, I have I know somebody else who's very interested in the in the ring as a as a identity, and I think. Personally, that one I like. I like the idea of having the Ducal signet ring as being the thing that proves that I am me.
2: I think he has an NFC ring, but he's not here.
5: It's not. uh, NFC ring is slightly too public. It doesn't have the right cryptographic properties for me, but it's interesting nonetheless.
2: Um, Yeah. You should look at the Yubikey Neo. I'll see if I can get one for you. Uh, Can I I have it as a piercing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interesting thing is also that some people build solutions where I can have one identity. I'm actually a lot of different people, as you've seen with all my hats. A new person every Friday. So, we need to build solutions where people can have multiple identities and switch between them. I think that's... yeah, the persona
0: part the persona part of identity is a big, big thing that needs to be dealt with. It's not, you know and again here we're getting back to context, right? It comes down to what are you doing at what period of time. So what persona are you right now? I'm in the middle of work. No, I'm I'm out watching a you know, I'm coaching my my son's soccer game, so my persona is something different then. Um so that kind of contextual intelligence is like paramount for getting to the point of understanding how I apply security, communication, all the rest of the elements that go into who I am at that moment. And um, that kind of adaptive intelligence is,
3: is going to be key to what happens in the future.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, just look I, at the I, difference I, between Google, Gmail and Google apps.
3: Yep. I was going to say, Jerry, I completely agree with you with that. So what we chose from day one was that me as Chris, when I log into OctaBlue, I get one UUID. Whether I'm using this for my home, home automation or if I'm at work, and contextually, the, the platform needs to understand maybe my, my geolocation or or where I'm at, you know, maybe maybe I beacons by proximity, you know, when I walk into my office, I want all my desktops, everything to, uh, you know, maybe my Citrix receiver to start for me, lights to go on, follow me around, and, you know, as my car is, you know, coming into the driveway, it knows, you know, start doing some home automation things, I've just crossed the geofence, but it's still me, right? Context is 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 everything.
5: Well, talk to Hillary Clinton. That's not true anymore. She, You, you, <laughs> you, you actually need to keep these things more separate than that, Chris.
2: <laughs> You're right. Yeah, but we, we also need to be able to leave personas behind to renew ourselves when we change roles or we just want to get rid of some part of the digital history. Well, or or, or I mean, even Before if... We so we, get, I want to be in control not only of my fridge uh, but also my personas. Now, and I think that's yeah. it's, it's not even that simple unfortunately because
5: if you're running a company you want to be able to give a role to somebody so yeah. the, the, the person it. who's currently operating this machine is in that role but when you fire them and you take somebody else in on in that role you don't necessarily want that to be a completely fresh fresh slate it's, a, it's a, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's really quite complicated, all this.
3: Yep. Well, we, we handle this you know, uh, through whitelists. So uh, my, our belief is that you own your UUID as a human <laughs> in, in this world of machines and systems. And when you come on to a company or change roles in a company or leave a company, your whitelists or blacklists get changed on mm-hmm. what you can or cannot access any longer. But it's still you. Your home automations should still work the same. Hmm. We should. I I, I keep meaning Chris
5: to, to spend some time talking to you, and it just doesn't happen because we're both busy in time zones and stuff. But we really should do this somewhere because I think there's a lot of yep. a lot of common ground we should be we should be covering.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely. There's a lot a lot yeah. of common ground.
2: But th- we have to find simple solutions because re-signing staff. People have been disappearing into that technology. I worked a bit with electronic signatures before I started working with Asterisk. And the killer question was an insurance company with life insurance saying, well, we want electronic documents, electronic signatures, but they have to last 125 years. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, um, well... I mean I, I, I stressed that we have to find solutions that are interoperable interoperable but still solutions that people can understand normal users that want to connect their things. Yeah, yeah. I totally so agree. I mean Tim is on to something with his parrot. Go look at that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so you know so the way the way we look at it too is that uh Your UUID, Octoblue knows that you're a human, right? You've logged in, that's your UUID, you're the owner, you've claimed all these devices, you own all these devices. (laughs) Um, So so, uh, I forgot what I was going to say about you. Oh, so so when a machine wants to send you a message, it says, oh, well, Chris doesn't speak MQTT or co-app. He speaks either email or text or push notifications or whatever whatever uh, facets i have coming in so I, I think it's an interesting way to to let you directly communicate with devices and devices directly connect with you and our systems you know i think i think the day of traditional old it where all they do is have programmers connecting apis together can can i mean we're trying to solve that with, with the the drag and drop designer too so um yeah me- me- message least cost yeah. routing there you go yeah, and, and this world of sensors, you know, and, 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 to the, the, uh, and the conversations we had earlier about uh, about machine learning, you know, I, I, think, I think as, you know, big data systems start, you know, analyzing all this data looking for trends, you know, if, if the machine knows or if the, the system knows that there's a, a motor it's watching, you know, heat on, temperature on, and if it knows there's a fan, you know, in, in the room, you know, why, why not have have you know, Splunk tell Octoblue to send a, a message to the humans UUID say, is it okay for me to turn the fan on? Maybe, maybe after a few times of you answering yes, or maybe if you said no, it has to understand what was the, what's, the, what's unique about this time you said no and all the rest of the times you said yes, so that kind of like the Nest learns, um, I think that all of these, these IoT platforms will be learning in the very near future too.
2: Well, that's the so, trick. Getting back... it... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's the trick. They have to be learning and start suggesting actions. But the, the thing is, there's a fine line between that and the need for privacy. Do I want to know I... about sex toys and suggest that, oh, you seem frustrated today. Why don't you charge your sex toys and play with them? I mean,. <laughs> Some of the things be <laughs> in, in the cloud, right? There, there is a need for privacy. By the way, I need to connect some things here.
1: <laughs> I, was, I wanted to, Tim, uh, you'll have the word next. I just wanted to come back on something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, because, for example, when we were out of the house for, say, three days, and my wife said, oh, she was all proud of herself, she said, I turned the heat off. Well, when I got back, you know, the heat is normally on to about 19 degrees, let's say. When I got back to the house, it was 16 degrees. Um, and my question is, and this you'd have to do some kind of a hysteresis uh, um, deviation calculation, but is it better to have the heat off completely or on a lower temperature? In other words, once you let the house get down to a low temperature, bringing this back to your thing, the fridge gets down to a very low temp, uh, gets down, goes up to a too high temperature, and you know is it isn't it better to maintain some medium i mean so you need computers to figure that stuff out, but in the end, I mean I'm not sure there's a real net gain in all this, particularly in your example, but anyway, go ahead with whatever you want to say
5: um, yeah, so I think there is a net gain i think I think there's a net gain because peaks are expensive to produce it's not there isn't a net gain for you directly, but there's a net gain for the producer because. In order to fire up that last two percent on the grid, they have to fire up some piece of asset that they normally don't use, and it costs them 20% to start it up. And so, that that whole peak shaving is an enormous, enormous potential win. And in in my view, now I haven't crunched the numbers; it might not be big enough. You know, but that's that's my thing with that. Um, We were talking about learning platforms, and I'm terrified about that. There was a really good article about somebody. who has got rid of their nest because it basically went AWOL. It learned stuff that was irrelevant and started being dictatorial. And she threw it out and replaced mm-hmm. it with, with, with a conventional thermostat because they'd lost control over the heating in their house. Um, yeah. and, and the discussion is discussion really funny because we're talking about this, this, this. Initially, people would come in and they'd show off how cool the nest was. And then after a while, they started apologizing for the fact that people had to keep their coats on. And, and this is like, you know, some, okay, there was probably something wrong with it and whatever, but, but I think it's interesting that you know it can learn a lot of these learning algorithms. I mean, if you look at the ads that Facebook show me, they are absolutely uniformly terrible, all mm. right? Yes. So the idea that these learning algorithms are gonna save our bacon and, and make IoT pleasant um, that hasn't been the experience for advertising so far. Um, and I, 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 worry a lot about the idea that, that anything could predict accurately how I want this house to be. Um, I, I much rather it would, it did what it was told than, than, um, started trying to second guess me.
1: I, I stayed with some people who, um, uh, the guy would wake up in the morning and turn the thermostat all the way up so that the heat would go on. And he turn it like on 90 Fahrenheit so that the heat would go on. Then when he was warm, he'd turn it off. And, you know, it was all I could do to not say, you know, that's a thermostat, so you're kind of completely defeating the purpose of it, right? And uh, the thermostat didn't learn anything, but at least it could have kept a stable temperature. Uh, these days, of course, everybody's, I mean, we have a thermostat that, allows you to program night and day. And I think that's probably pretty universal. So, you know, we do use less energy at night. Uh, but, but the point is that the average person either doesn't care or doesn't understand. And either way, we're in trouble with that. So unless people want to go ahead and accept these learning algorithms and accept the Nest as some kind of a blessing, which I don't see it as personally. I think the net maybe, maybe the Nest idea goes too far. And this learning thing is, is invalid. Uh, the, the energy saving and the money saving thing, certainly the ecological implications, that's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if we could do that and reduce all these problems of pollution and everything else associated, that's fantastic. And if, a cou- and if we can save a couple pennies, that's great, too. But the, the learning about, you know, because it's a machine, for God's sake, you know. I mean, what is it going to learn? It's going to learn that you do this normally, but it has no idea. Yeah, well, he drank a lot last night, so, you know, these people partied, and they need a little more heat in the morning. Well, I mean, it's not going to learn that unless, well, unless all the devices are think... s- detecting the alcohol in your blood and, and deciding that you could use a little more cold or heat. I don't know. Where are we going with this? But I think a
3: lot of... I think a lot of these devices are coming out either for convenience, um, you know. So, so they're trying. You know, the ultimate goals, you know, for like home automation people, enthusiasts, they just want either their homes to start saving more money, or be more efficient, or be more uh, interesting. Like, like maybe my lights turn on and off, you know, based on what room I'm in, or you know, kind of follow me around, or improve security, et cetera. So. I, I think, you know, data in the wrong hands, to, to Tim's point earlier, I think is terrifying. And I think we need to find a way, you know, to, to either have more control on these devices ourselves or, or, or not rely on a single vendor to, to uh, start, start connecting all the dots for us.
1: You, you mentioned, I think it was you who mentioned, Chris, uh, the Samsung television sending the data back, Right. And you mm-hmm. know that when you do searches, if, if any of you use Google, probably Siri does the same anyway. All of these vocal things where you talk to your, I talk to my watch sometimes, you know, hey, what temperature is it in Paris or something? Um, and those things are all recorded. So you can go look at them and you can delete them, but they are recorded. Whether there's a nefarious use of that, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think so. And I think the Samsung story, by the way, was kind of a kind of an, a FUD Thing I don't think anybody cares or was looking at it, and it has to do with only with vocal commands. It is not listening all the time. The Amazon device, what's that called, the Echo, or whatever, the Echo, yep. whatever the name of that is. Yep. That thing is listening all the time, and one and it is sending the stuff up all the time. Is it encrypted? Is it saved? We don't know. Um, that 10, thing hears everything 10, that goes on yeah. in your house.
3: My understanding is that Echo, because we were playing with one the other day, it it listens for its name Alexa, right? So I think it's a passive, uh, I I could be wrong, but I think it's a passive uh, speech reco device, kind of like your Google Watch, where you say, okay, Google, and then that wakes it up, and then what you say afterwards streams up.
1: Okay, Google, what is the temperature in Paris? No it just said it just said some it uh, didn't get it in fact never mind anyway yeah that's yeah. the uh but those are all recorded apparently and you can go look at them i, f- I haven't yet but uh i probably should and of yeah. course you got the yeah. false triggers too so the alexa yeah, so we, alexa we, might hear you you might say anorexia and it says it starts recording yeah. you know i don't know
3: yep <laughs> so we we attached uh, an amazon echo to octoblue and we were having some fun with it where you can say uh, you know, Alexa, uh, turn my lights on, you know, and it would it would know uh, what to do. But we're adding the WIT AI to the platform next week. So I think that'll get uh, really interesting, you know, doing some semantics around speech recognition for whatever you want to do, whether it be, you know, as you're driving your car, <laughs> you know, having, having uh, interesting could be like an, uh, a warehouse, you know, where you've got your hands occupied on, on various, you know, productions or driving trains or whatever, being able to have have uh, another input angle. Tim looks like he has something to say.
5: Yeah, and no, I'm just really <laughs> glad you've changed the name from Skynet now that you're adding
3: AI to it. Well, you know what's funny is that all the code still says Skynet. When you hear that, the team still thinks they're building Skynet.
1: So.
3: Yeah, Skynet. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Only the name has All right, changed. so here's... <laughs>
1: You always need a killer app, so I'm going to let you in on one. I give this idea away. The killer app is the connected vibrator. What else do I have to say?
5: Oh, so um, um, Hermione is <laughs> also publicizing that. She has a... Yeah, that's, that's a... Vibraze?
1: I mean, vibrase. the scale that tweets is of no interest. The connected vibrator, on the other hand, could be a big thing.
5: Uh, a, yeah, no, there is one. Um, I'm
1: not surprised. <laughs>
6: this talk of uh, learning devices and uh, samsung TVs reminds me of a story i read in an australian newspaper some years ago years ago about a tivo that started believing its owner was gay do you remember that one the, the the guy had recorded a couple of episodes of will and grace and so the tivo started to think uh, excuse me started to think he was uh, homosexual and started recording all sorts of other programs for him and in an attempt to convince the TiVo that he was not, he recorded a couple of war movies, and then it started recording (laughs) neo-Nazi material for him. It's a true story. That's awesome.
4: (laughs) Uh, But
5: but Facebook's like that anyway. I mean, I get Facebook ads for, you know... um, gay Swedish dads because I have Swedish friends and gay friends and you know I'm a dad so obviously
6: I want to join the gay, join
5: the gay Swedish dad club I'm, you know, clearly. I'm really sorry for letting your address out <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that explains it yeah. but they paid well they paid well <laughs> I,
1: I, I. <laughs> sounds like we have uh, oh that's Michael on uh, ZipTX, I think
2: I, I, yeah, I, I dropped into an obtuse context in conversation. <laughs> yeah, there.
1: Really, you got into just the right place.
6: <laughs> yeah, one thing we we've oh, got sorry. to consider is what happens when all the, all these things go wrong. Because undoubtedly, if they're machine based, they're going to go wrong. So we've always got to think about what damage can you do when it goes horribly wrong. And, and a good example of what happens when it goes horribly wrong was Evan. McGee's dangerous demo at Astricon, if you remember that, David. Um, and what he did is he built a, a bot that listens through a Bluetooth uh, light bulb to the conversation in the room. And the idea was that if you started to get a bit fruity and say the wrong words, it would start flashing the light at you to remind you to be a good boy and to freshen your language. But it didn't quite work that way, and so poor old Evan ended up um, swearing and beating up this light uh, in front of an audience, which then did precisely nothing. And it's <laughs> and it's on the the, the video of that is up on on YouTube, I think, on the Astricon on on the asterisk uh, yeah Astricon channel. It probably, probably is, of course, there are other Astricon chats that include bad language without any light bulbs as well. Yeah, but for for Evan to do it, because he's normally the most marked-mannered, polite gentleman going, uh, wearing his bow tie, (laughs) uh, um, was uh, was particularly interesting. Anyway, so my point is, we've got to consider what damage you can do when it all goes horribly wrong.
1: Well here's something that could go horribly wrong or horribly right when we're looking at well, that's our, uh, that's the famous
6: Yeah, there it is. bad that's our, that's our So <laughs> let, let
1: me see, how many should we, how many of these should we order? They're only ninety nine dollars. They're would you like the pink or the purple? Let's go for the purple. I like purple better. Complete shipping information below.
6: And you link it with uh, Bluetooth Low Energy.
1: Come on, read out the testimonials. <laughs> Why low energy, though? Why low energy? That, to me, that, does, yeah, that kind of defeats good. the whole
6: thing. <laughs> I'm beginning to regret
5: having done this. I, I, it's amazing. I, I sent you lot a, power, a really, really pretty um, uh, URL of a grid, of, of like the geekiest thing ever, and you all ignore it. And now, now I mentioned vibrators, and you're off like a shot. Yeah, like, I know it's Friday afternoon, but honestly, I'm, I'm disappointed in you all. So go and as an antidote, go and look at this uh, grid thing.
1: Uh, Where did you put the uh URL? Grid, gridwatch. Yeah, yeah, go look at
6: that. Oh, it's absolutely it's long, gorgeous. Yeah.
1: No, no, just gridwatch.templar. Okay, I I I can put it on because it's a long URL to read. Yeah, but
6: uh, what what is it showing?
1: Yeah. It? It's absolutely oh, gorgeous. You, yeah, I can't describe it properly.
5: Well, oh it shows,
1: here it is, here it is. Present to everyone. Here it is. All, All right. This is your gravity. UK National Grid status. So
5: that is the current state of the UK National Grid at this instant. So we're 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 importing how much power from the French? Um, yes, about, a, a lot actually. It's nearly off scale. Um, and and so I I love this page. I think it's great. They have they ge- have a yeah, German one and a yeah. French one. It's knee deep in
1: geopolitics. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it does actually change. Where do you see the French? Where do you oh. see the French import? I don't. So there's.
5: Let me um, see. There's a the top right. On, on the right-hand Nuclear? side, in the smaller dials, there's French ICT.
1: Oh wow! Well, Dutch too is off the scale. In fact, Dutch is pinned. Yeah, yeah. So is. So but that's is hydro. Uh, that's, only,
5: that's quite small. The French one is two is two gigawatt, um, and that's. That that so that we get as much energy from the French as we do from wind power. And uh, the Dutch Incredible. one is a gigawatt and that's rammed up against the end point. Um, and the, there's this funny thing in geopolitics where we we buy, we that Dutch stuff we actually sell to the Irish pretty much. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> and this, so
5: this is kind Had of like, a healthy markup I hope. Uh, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And uh, and and there you go. You see, we're still burning a lot of coal. Thank goodness for that. Well, yes, but I'm just. I think it's. I think it's a be- thing of beauty. And then there's a French one and a German one as well, somewhere. But I love the. F- I don't know how he's got away with the Smiths go. Instrument label, Limited label on that. That can't. That's got to be copyright. But anyway. I'm
1: trying to get these little small ones. Here we go. Okay, this is a little bit more visible. So, yeah, Dutch ICT.
6: And CCGT must be what? Uh, gas, gas turbine.
5: Yes. Uh, so the, but there's two sorts of gas. There's one um, which is very quick. No, no, where is it? There's one, other, oh, yes, that OCGT. That's the, that's the, oh, God, we've got the, the, the queen's speech is over. Everyone's <laughs> turned the kettle on. Uh, the, the one oh. on the top right. <laughs> the one in the top right is um, uh, very expensive. Zero run, right only, now. Yeah, it's it's zero because there's no national emergency.
1: It's um, only when okay.
5: So, so that, it's there. a fascinating little geeky thing, almost as
1: interesting as as, as Hermione's vibrators. <laughs> Not quite, but very interesting nonetheless. Very interesting. But the 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 vibrators, I didn't take the time to read. So, the connection is what we what? know. What the endpoint? We know what the endpoint does. What is their controller or something? Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's. Um... You do this at a distance, in other words, yes, or it's for distant relationships. So you, uh... <laughs>
5: Well, I had an idea for
1: I had an idea for I had an idea for gaming that I cannot reveal uh, in public. But when we're in the mature audiences, maybe I can tell you about it. Let's get this back to. Well, only because I don't want it stolen, of course. Okay. No, not really. Okay, well, I guess we can maybe close. Um, anybody on ZipDX have anything to say? Star six, to uh, toggle your mute state. Anybody else on the Hangout, if there's any... Conc- oh, Michael's with us again.
6: On the, right. on the hey, Hangout. Michael. Hello. Did, did I miss a bit where... Uh where, Chris, you, you described what the status of Octoblue Blue is. Is it open source or is it commercial now? Because I kind of missed that bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, uh, didn't
3: quite finish uh, the story, but um, it's probably 80% of Octoblue is open source. Uh, it's it's uh, mostly MIT licensed, uh, so you can build commercial applications on top of it. Um, it, it's a mesh network, um, private, public, hybrid clouds, you can run it on a Raspberry Pi all the way up to a horizontally scaled uh, cloud uh, platform. We've got gateways, microcontroller operating systems. The part that's closed is the, the web app itself, much like the GitHub kind of model where all the infrastructure is open, but then GitHub.com is closed. That's kind of how Octoblue is. Um what we we think we're we're landing on two two models uh, for for um, uh, monetization. One is licensing. So if if uh, TrueFun would like to run their own uh, OctaBlue IoT cloud, you could private label it or run it in your own data centers. Um, the other one is is around uh, the idea of a compute engine. So uh, you know, much like a uh, much like Heroku has dynos, and and you know, uh, Amazon you know has has. Uh, Machines you can spin up. Um, we what you deploy in the the Docker containers that we run for you 24/7 uh, is is essentially a compute engine, and uh, we'll probably charge for different size compute engines by the hour. Um, but right now it's all free. There's over 1,500 users on the platform today in a private beta, and uh, building a lot of really cool things, and they they range from home automation people to uh, enterprise. Um, uh, automation, as well as uh, we've got a few doing industrial, like uh, power power control stations and uh, construction, et cetera. So, a lot of interesting things, and it's all it's all free until we actually figure out uh, what what the price points and
6: monetization actually is going to end up. Well, we can't ask any more than that, can we? So everybody uh-huh. sign up and they get building things now before the uh, before the uh, commercial police come swooping in. Yeah, and I'm
3: sure we'll grandfather you know, pretty much everyone on the platform with all your flows, what you're doing. So, yeah, now's the time to to get in there and play.
6: Yeah, as if we didn't have a gazillion other things to do as well at the moment. But thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. Adding another thing on my list of things to do.
1: Chris, Chris uh, where are you, you going to be next? You, are you doing any presentations or anything you'd like to announce? Any dates you can give us or places um, or times or...
3: We're going to have uh, some folks in uh, South by Southwest uh, next week. they are going to be Intel's uh, f- uh, flying him in to do some, some party things at a pub, I think, or something. A lot of lights uh, connect to Dr. Blue. Um, we've we got a really big uh, conference that Citrix does in May called Synergy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't remember like 10,000, 20,000. I can't remember the, the size of the conference, but we'll, we'll be all over that thing with, Tesla's connected to Octablue with drones, with uh, real, a bunch of really cool ideas we're, we're, we're planning out. Um, and I think we've, we've got a, an events page, but we haven't quite gotten through. It's it's github.com slash octoblue slash events is kind of what, what's on our radar, but those are the big ones.
1: Okay. So yeah, this event that you just mentioned, uh, the Citrix one, sounds sounds a little like that science fiction novel Daemon or demon. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, well, it's Skynet, right? The guy dies and he's yeah. got all these millions of operators. There's both the heads-up display, but the other thing that reminded me of what you just said is that they got all these drones and machines and motorcycles with blades or conveyed you, you could totally on, do that with <laughs> you could totally
3: do that with with Octoblue. So we have an RSS feed. So in his book, he he had an obituary that that triggered the whole whole series of of, of exactly. mayhem.
1: yeah we're almost there okay anybody else have any final comments before we before I launch the uh, thank yous and so on for the sponsors Uh, going once going twice going three
2: times
1: (laughs) hey Ole great to see you and great to see everybody Uh, particularly you Chris you need to come back a little bit more often if you can we love to have you each time
3: thank thank you so much Randy it was so oh I love that photo it was so great to see everybody
1: It is. Let me put that back up for everybody. Let's go out on that. It's Chris Matthew with VUC 532. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSip.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from VoxBone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.